This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 10th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. A court case this week has narrowed the range of people who can effectively challenge the government's collection of their private information. The feds have already provided immunity for telecoms that help them engage in this legally dubious data collection. And even when our elected representatives are asking for a rundown of what they've been doing, intelligence agencies basically stonewall. The bottom line is that your right against an unreasonable search and seizure is being carefully, if not systematically, diminished by the federal government. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. Very little that the government does is as secret as electronic surveillance conducted by the National Security Agency. But one of the rare exceptions to that rule was the Al-Haramain Islamic Foundation, which, thanks to an error basically by the government, learned that it had been subject to the warrantless wiretapping program authorized by President Bush uh, after 9-11. It actually won about $40,000 in damages in a suit against the government uh, after it learned about this. But this week, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, struck down that damage award. Uh, It ruled that in the statute governing uh, violations of federal wiretap law, the government had waived sovereign immunity, the government's privilege against uh, being subject to lawsuits without its permission, um, for illegal use and disclosure of wiretap information. But it hadn't explicitly waived sovereign immunity for uh, the mere collection, the mere illegal collection of that information. Uh, so the, the upshot of this is that even if you are one of those rare individuals who learns that they have been subject to illegal or at least arguably illegal surveillance by the National Security Agency or other government agencies, um, you cannot – get restitution from the courts just on the basis of that illegal collection. That's a pretty big departure from basically everything else about federal wiretap law. Um, If they had been suing a private party, a private illegal wiretapper uh, or the telecommunications companies for engaging in uh, or assisting illegal wiretapping, um, it's pretty clear that the harm that Uh, the wiretapper is liable for occurs when a communication is intercepted, when a wiretap happens. Uh, And it doesn't matter if they just keep that recording in a box and never do anything with it or never reveal it to anyone. Uh, That's an independent harm, just being subject to illegal wiretapping. The problem with this is, of course, that that, um, we now know that under the FISA Amendments Act of 2008, Private telecommunications companies that assisted in that illegal wiretap program were given immunity from suit. And people who supported this rather controversial move said, well, it's just a question of not holding those companies responsible after they were told by the government, reassured by the government that all of this was was legal and necessary for national security reasons. Uh, we're not depriving people of uh, their right to have their uh, their – legal rights vindicated. Um, It's just a question of who the target should be. Now it's becoming clear that, of course, changing the target uh, of any lawsuit or legal challenge to the government has substantially narrowed uh, the bases on which relief can be sought. And 
you know, if you take that in combination with governments, uh, the government's argument in other cases, which is they're trying to shrink even further uh, the domain of uh, opportunities to challenge this probably illegal surveillance. Um, there's a challenge currently being brought uh, against that FISA Amendments Act, which kind of codified and legalized uh, broad programmatic surveillance that had been going on uh, previously under presidential authority. And there we have a, a group of uh, journalists, activists, and attorneys who regularly communicate with people in the Middle East uh, who in a suit called Amnesty v. Clapper are arguing that because they have a basically strong and good faith and reasonable belief that their communications are likely to be subject to interception uh, and because they've taken some costly measures to try and avoid that, like going out and flying to meet clients in person, uh, that they should be able to challenge the constitutionality of this uh, prospective legalized version of the surveillance program. Uh, that's going to go before the Supreme Court in October. But the government's argument there is that no, that's not enough unless you can prove that you have been subject to this secret wiretap program. Um, you have no right to have a court evaluate its constitutionality. Um, that's awfully problematic. The legislative history of FISA makes it very clear that Congress understood that the whole difference between intelligence and criminal investigations is that very often the point is not ultimately to bring uh, you know, prosecution against the target of that, that you are broadly collecting a lot of information. Um, and so we're in this sort of weird situation where Again, thousands and potentially millions of Americans uh, have been and are being subject to electronic surveillance by the government and yet almost none of those people are in any position to get a court to review that, to say, is this legal? Um, are you entitled to compensation for what may be a violation of your rights? Uh, you know, if you think about the Fourth Amendment, it doesn't say that people will have a right against unreasonable use of information the government gains from searches. It says we have a right against unreasonable searches. Everywhere else in the law, uh, we understand that just having your privacy violated in this way is a harm demanding compensation in itself. Just to recap here, one of the essential checks that we have against our rights being violated by the government is the ability to assert that those rights have been violated and have an impartial uh, judicial process that will decide whether or not that's occurred. Another check against uh, the government violating our rights is the ability in many circumstances to sue the government after having uh, violated our rights. And another check on having the government violate our rights is the fact that our elected representatives are supposed to be safeguarding our rights. And you have talked to Ron Wyden. He's spoken here at the Cato Institute as well. And his point is, I'm having a very hard time getting this information out of these agencies as well. So the, the clear pattern that uh, the government here, the Bush administration and now the Obama administration have pursued here um, is to attempt to absolutely immunize their surveillance activities from meaningful oversight, scrutiny, uh, checks by other branches of government. Um, the legislature can't really get enough information, meaningful access to information um, to understand what's going on and, and be able to exercise their oversight role. Um, members of the general public who are 
probably being surveilled, uh, possibly in violation of, of uh, you know, the Fourth Amendment, um, can't really do anything about it. The, the premise here seems to be uh, we can wiretap everyone, and as long as we never tell you about it, which we never have to do, um, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no practical way for you to assert those Fourth Amendment rights. And now, even if you do find out that you've been subject to illegal surveillance, uh, all the government has to do to ensure that it can't be accountable is to decide that it is not going to choose to prosecute you and try to introduce illegally obtained surveillance tapes in a court of law, which, of course, they're unlikely to do. Um, you know, if you think about the whole purpose of FISA, FISA was passed as a response to decades of egregious uh, abuses of surveillance powers by the FBI, CIA, NSA, other government agencies. And when you look at what that abuse actually entailed, it wasn't that the government conducted a lot of illegal surveillance and then tried to show a court what they'd done so that it could prosecute people. What actually happened was that people were subject to illegal surveillance and then that information was used in a series of targeted leaks uh, to intimidate or destroy political enemies of the people who had access to that information. And so if we say uh, you know, the statute that was supposed to remedy that is only applicable to a situation that was never a problem in the first place, uh, you, you, you wonder what the point was. One of the strange side effects here may be, as you point out, there's a clear difference as drawn out by these FISA amendments between intelligence gathering and criminal investigations. Blurring that line would seem to, in some circumstances, define terrorism down. That is to say, the only way the government can protect itself from certain uh, claims of violation of rights is to say that we're investigating terrorism rather than mere criminal activity. Is that fair? One reason I think people may not realize how uh, potentially disturbing these surveillance authorities are, especially if they're not meaningfully subject to uh, public accountability or, or judicial checks, uh, is that they think of this as something that's only about terrorists, people who are planning to uh, you know, bomb or uh, kill American citizens. But you know, the, the, the definition of who's subject to this, this kind of surveillance is, is really pretty broad. Consider the, the Al-Haramain Foundation. Um, I don't think anyone seriously believed that they were directly uh, involved in planning any kind of plots. They were under investigation really initially by uh, the Treasury Department. You know, a lot of what uh, the government does under the banner of terrorism investigations is trying to follow the money. Are you making donations to a charity that may have ties to Hezbollah, say? And so maybe, you know, someone thinks they're making a donation to support, uh, you know, some kind of charitable work, but money is fungible. If that's something that's done in connection with an organization that is also considered a terrorist group by the United States government, um, that's tantamount to supporting terrorism. So, um, you know, it's easy to fall suspect under uh, under you know, these nominally anti-terror investigations without directly having any kind of uh, personal uh, you know, direct connection to a group like al-Qaeda. Um, you know, we know that of the minority of, ter of terror-related investigations that are referred to federal prosecutors every year, something like 
80 percent um, are basically declined. Prosecutors say that they don't think it's worth pursuing the case, you know, often perhaps because it has to do with some kind of, of financial issue, uh, donation to some organization where um, you know, they don't think they can prove necessarily that the, uh, the person who donated the money was intentionally supporting terrorism. Um, so the potential scope of these uh, uh, surveillance programs is really incredibly large. We know that the NSA collects billions of phone calls and emails every day. Uh, we know that uh, press reports in 2009 suggested that there had been overcollection of just totally domestic communications under this uh, new uh, newly legal NSA surveillance programs um, and that that could have encompassed many millions of communications and potentially, again, many thousands of, of phone or email accounts. Um, so we are really talking about an enormous number of innocent people who are subject to government spying, whose communications are sitting somewhere in an NSA database and who have no way of ever effectively getting any kind of redress in court. Uh, the sort of perverse nature of the system, and this is something that's sort of endemic to a lot of our Fourth Amendment law, but, but it really is a bizarre situation where effectively the people who get to vindicate their Fourth Amendment rights in court are usually guilty people. It's people who have been convicted in court uh, and then try to exclude the evidence obtained against them through surveillance that end up being the ones whose cases get to the Supreme Court, get to the appellate courts. Um, if, on the other hand, you are just a totally innocent person who is spied on, who has your rights violated, um, there's much less you can do. And uh, as, as this new ruling is establishing, um, you know, that domain of accountability, that domain of uh, restitution is shrinking constantly. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work on government surveillance of Americans at our website, cato.org.